Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 14. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire falls." Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit got, uh, returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. God, thank you for... Um, Thank you for gathering us here this morning. We are um, confident and joyful of your presence here today. Um, we invite you to work in our hearts. To um, We invite you to make way for what you have to teach us this morning. Um, we praise you for, for the worship team, for the leaders, for the teachers today, for um, giving them a heart to lead us into encountering you um, we praise you for Greg, for all you've taught him, and for giving him a passion for your word and for our body, and we just ask that um, you would speak through him, and um, yeah, that you would transform us this morning. We pray for your presence in this room, in the children's rooms, um, in the neighborhood, and anybody that's not here this morning, we ask that you would speak to them and that we would encounter you this morning. Um, we love you. We praise you. Amen. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, worship team. Thank you to each of you for joining us today. I'm excited to wrap up Ecclesiastes with you. We're going to be, uh, we've been in Ecclesiastes since the beginning of the year, and um, next Sunday, Pastor Justin is going to be starting the book of John. We will be in John for two years, okay? And don't let that overwhelm you. It's going to be, uh, we'll, we'll have some breaks interspersed through. Uh, as we, every summer, we spend a good chunk of time in the Psalms, and uh, as well as uh, through Easter and Advent, uh, kind of the, those different seasons of the year, we'll, we'll embrace some different rhythms. But, but what, we're, what we're wrapping up today is Ecclesiastes 12, and this is uh, what we've entitled Life Under the Sun. Just what does it look like to, to live life under the sun, and, and we know that, that Christ has risen above the sun, that Christ has risen over all things, and so what does it look like to live in light now in this Easter season of Jesus' victory? How do we live in light of that under the sun? So we are going to emphasize today this uh, one reality, uh, this one sentence, if I can give to you, of what Ecclesiastes 12, 1 to 14, um, and really the whole book is, is really about, uh, and that is this, refreshing simplicity in a world of exhausting complexity. Okay, We live in a world of exhausting complexity that, I don't know about you, but Sometimes the, the, just the, the very nature of being in the world and being informed and, and knowing all that's going on and knowing all the things that we need to do, is, it can be exhausting. And we live in a culture that thrives off, exhausting, off being exhausted because once you're exhausted with one thing, you can go to another thing and experience exhaustion there. And so we live in a world that embraces and celebrates exhausting complexity, and we hear from God's word today a fresh word, a stilling word, a peaceful word of refreshing simplicity. 
I'm going to um, wrap up today um, by talking about bananas, okay? And so you have that to look forward to. And, and I'm really going to talk about bananas because it's, uh, it's a way that I've been able to answer the question for myself of what's the purpose of my life, okay? It has to do with bananas. And, um, but, but for me, as I, as I think about this, this paradox of refreshing simplicity in a world of um, of exhausting complexity. As I think about the purpose of my life, as I think about what I've wanted to accomplish in my life, I've, I've done so many different assessments, so many different, I've been in different uh, career fields and, and different seasons of life that I've, I've, I've journeyed through different things. And, and many times I've like, man, what, what, what am I called to do? Who am I called to be? What am, what am I called to put my energy into? What am I called to, to, to live into? And um, yeah, and it has to do with bananas, so wait for that. Um, but I think that that's, there's a question for us today that, that the author of Ecclesiastes is saying that, that there's so many options of, of things that you can devote yourselves to. There's so many options of things that you can listen to. There's so many options of, of, of struggles that we experience in the world, and it's exhausting, and yet he offers a fresh word of refreshing simplicity, okay? So we're going to go through the text two times. First time through is we're going to see the exhausting complexity of things. We're going to look at the world uh, in its condition. We're going to look at the content that the world gives to us, uh, and we're going to look at the choices that the world gives to us, okay? So exhausting complexity from the world, Ecclesiastes 12. Who's ready? Who's ready with me? Anybody? All right, thank you. Okay, here we go. Ecclesiastes 12, get ready to be exhausted, okay? Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Okay, I'm going to stop here. Before, before we even begin to read this text, I just want you guys to feel the weight of, of this first section of the text. Okay, we're going to verse 8, and I want you to like note Maybe mark in your Bible, mark you know, on your pad of paper, mark the, the exhausting words that come up as we do this. Okay, so study the text with me. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the days, the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. And the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of the song of song are brought low. They are afraid of also, also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity." I hope just by the nature of reading the text, you're able to, to say along with Solomon here at the end of this short passage, that's vanity. That's exhausting. What, what we see in this, I, I have some of these uh, underlined for us in, in our next slide, the, the description of this exhausting complexity. And the, here's the complexity of it. Things don't work. Things don't work. Things are broken. It's like living in Portland. It rains, and then it rains again. Just kidding. Portland's awesome. But really, there's this reality of, man, can I get some relief here? Can, can something work? Okay, so from the first section, um, we see this, that, 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 that he describes the days as evil. That there's no pleasure in the days. That, that the, the stars are darkened. The clouds return after the rain. Thank you, Portland. The, the houses tremble. The strong men are bent. 
Does that happen in our life? Yeah. Maybe it doesn't happen for you when you're 21 years old, but it happens when you're beginning to be, you know, we're in our mid to late 30s, and my wife ran a half marathon yesterday because she's awesome. Um, and uh, and <laughs> she got out of bed this morning and was like, oh. I mean, she, she like ran like a 10-minute mile, you know? So she's like hauling. But her, her body, my body, as we get older, it's just like, man, we start to bend and get weak. That the, uh, the grinders cease. Why do they cease? Because they're, they're, people have left. They're, there's no more energy to go forth. The windows are dim. That's talking about your eyes. Um, the doors of the street are shut. Okay, who wants to walk through a, a town and it's like everything's closed off, everything's shut, don't come in. Grinding is low. The daughters are brought low. There are tares along the way. Even the grasshopper, what's the description there? He drags, he drags himself along. The mourners are going about the streets. Verse 6, the cord is snapped. The golden bowl is broken. The pitcher is shattered. The wheel is broken. The dust returns to the earth. Man, it's like turning on the news, okay? I remember uh, my mom loves to watch the news, and I remember probably, I don't know, 20 years ago, um, she, she had this, rev- this epiphany that when she has a hard time sleeping sometimes because she's like watching the news when she goes to, as to, to fall asleep. And the epiphany was, there's nothing encouraging on the news. There's, there's nothing edifying. There's nothing, there's nothing uplifting on the news. And so it's like she has like anxiety while she's sleeping. And it's like, oh yeah, there's a reason why. And, and that's the world that we live in. That, that, that things, even, even grinding at the mill, it's like, man, that can be exhausting. And why do we do it? We do it to survive. We do it to survive, and the good news that we're not there yet, but the good news of the text is we don't just have to survive. We don't just have to survive in this world, even though the complexity of it, the brokenness of it is exhausting, okay? The content of the world, let's look at verses 9 through, t- through 12. The content of the world can be exhausting in its complexity, Again, as we read through this, I want you to think about what, what is the, the, the Solomon, what is the Holy Spirit through Solomon teaching us in the exhaustion that comes from the world here, okay? Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed to the collected sayings. They are given by the one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Go to the next slide, Tom. The, the, the reality that, that, um, that, I'm sorry, go back. I thought I had one before that. That's all right. Um, the, 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 the weight of studying and arranging and reading so many different texts, okay, in 9 through 12, that, that Solomon is putting all of these things together and he's, he's discerning and, and spending time and energy trying to arrange all these things. And I love the way that verse 10 puts it. The preacher sought to find words of delight. What does that mean? That means they were few. They were few in number. That, that, that there weren't many necessarily to find that he have to he had to search out those words and the words that he gave were to be encouraging and uplifting verse 12 is the clearest um, declaration of this exhausting complexity that we see verse 12 my son beware of anything beyond these of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh um, I heard from, uh, not I heard, I, I read one article um, recently 
uh, by a PhD in uh, an academ academician in a field of study, um, and they said that, uh, they're like, can everybody just stop writing books, please? Just stop. Because we have so many books in every domain of life right now that even the academics, people who like armchair theologians, armchair like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really not making fun of them. They're awesome people. They, they do a weariness of the flesh of study. Um, but man, like there's just so much that they have to even catch up on, okay? Um, let, me, let me describe this in a, in, a, in a different platform, not just in books, because I'm a, personally a big fan of books. Um, and um, <clears throat> I, I sat down with a really good friend a few months ago, and, um, and he looked at me and he said, hey, Greg, the invention of the internet, was that a blessing or a curse? And... And he was like, I mean, I know there's like, you know, things weighing and, you know, good or bad. And I'm like, and, and I, I literally, I had to stop and really think about it. And he didn't even let me answer because he just like, he knew what I was going to say. Because I was going to say like, I think it's a curse. And that's my opinion. You don't have to hold that opinion. That's not the opinion of the word of God. So don't worry, okay? Um, but that's my opinion. Why? Why is that my opinion? I think it's valid because there's so much information that we don't even know where to turn. I, I, I don't know who is an who's, who's a legitimate resource and you know reliable resource in the sphere of information. We live in a culture that celebrates being informed, right? If you're not informed, you're labeled as naive, or um, you're labeled as closed-minded. You can even be labeled as hateful, that you're not open to other things. Because if you're not informed, you don't care. And that's dangerous. That's very dangerous. Because every piece of information has to be processed and is spoken through a lens of persuasion. Every piece of information, everything you hear, everything you read, everything is trying to convince you that their side of the story is right. Is the Bible written from a certain perspective? Yes. Do I believe it's the inspired word of God, that it is miraculously given by the Holy Spirit, that every word on it is true? Yes. But do I believe that God used certain people in a certain time, in a certain place, with a certain vantage point, and miraculously used them? Yep. That as we are the informed, we are exhausted by having to distill all of that information. A good question maybe to ask is, who am I looking to for guidance? Who am I looking to for a reliable source of information? Who am I looking to? Because there are a plethora of different options, and that in and of itself is exhausting. Because anybody who is a, who is a true studier of something it, it takes you years and years and years to even embrace the reality of it. You can't get that in one five-minute Yahoo article. Sorry to burst your bubble. But that, that's the reality, church. The, the reality that we live in is that we have the choice that's before us of, man, it, to, really the choice is like, man, I just get to be exhausted all the time because I, I have to do all these things. I, I was thinking about this uh, personally for me this week, and it was the phrase that came to mind was, was this. Living in an informed culture is isolatingly easy. Living informed is isolatingly easy. Why do I say that? Because if we're informed, then we think we know what's going on because we read the material or we, you know, we know a little bit about this and yeah, we kind of dabbled in it. But have we, 
had conversations about it? Have we processed it? Have we, have we communally discerned this? Have we, have we really wrestled with it? No. It's isolatingly easy to be informed, but it doesn't root us in our souls. It's exhausting. Last exhaustion is the choices in the world. Out of all of those um, things that we can be informed by, we then have choices to make. And this is how Ecclesiastes wraps up. The end of the matter has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We can easily see this passage as the indication that God has given us commands and that we can read this passage of like, fear God and keep his commandments. Man, God's a killjoy and that's frustrating. I have to live up to all 613 commandments? I have to, I have to, I have to live under the, the weight of, of the judgment of God? And sometimes people hear this in the church. Sometimes people experience this in the church. I was a part of a church for, for a brief season that, that the motivation for living under the rule and reign and good reign of God was he's going to judge you. He's going he's gonna to condemn you. You're going you're gonna to be judged for everything. And that'll keep you in line. That'll, that'll keep you from living righteously. We can very easily read this passage and be exhausted to say, Lord, I don't want to, like, I, I'm fearful of the commands of God, of his judgment. So we are exhausted in this world from the condition of the brokenness of the world of the content and overflow, overflood of information in the world and the choices in the world that we're going to be judged by someone at some time, at some point, period. You ready for some refreshing simplicity? All right. <laughs> some refreshing simplicity, church. How does Jesus inform us in this world, that is exhausting. Let's, we're going to go through the text again and see the fulfillment of Jesus and then look to the New Testament to see how does Jesus tell us, inform us, shape us, prepare us to live. Okay, We're going to go through this a little bit quicker since we've already kind of looked through the text. We're just going to highlight some things from each section. In the condition of the world... We're going to see that this is God's world that we live in, that it's God's word that we hold to, and it's God's ways that we live in. Okay, so first one, God's world, Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8. His, his exhausting speech starts with, remember also your creator. What is that? How does that inform us? He's saying, number one, before we even get into the brokenness of the world, remember that God made it. That God is the one who is over it. He is the one who created it. He is the one who knows every jot and tittle of what's going on. Sometimes the exhaustion can be so overwhelming because we forget that someone sees and someone knows and someone has given all these things to the world. Okay, In the second, in the second section of, of 12, 1 through 8, Man is going to his eternal home in verse 5. Even though desire fails, even though the grasshopper drags, man is going to his eternal home. And the dust returns to the earth as it was given in verse 7. Let me, let me just say this, church. When we make the world our home, it's exhausting. When you make the world your home, it's exhausting. This world is not everything. This is not our home. The New Testament is filled with this picture of we are sojourners and strangers in a world that is not yet re revealed. 
a world that is coming that is better, that the wor- a world that is our eternal home. Some of you may feel homeless. Some of you may feel, feel isolated. Some of you may feel lonely. Some of you may feel, feel like no one sees and no one knows. And I want to tell you today that you have a home. And it's not in me. It's not in this church even. We are broken examples of this. We are to display that in the image and love of Jesus. But Jesus and the Trinity and and the eternal home of heaven and earth united is our home that we long for. The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 53 to 57. This is a picture of of Jesus' victory in the reality that what we experience in our bodies is exhausting. It validates that experience. We don't say, no, it's I'm great, man, I'm full of energy. It's like, you're a liar. It is exhausting. So let's say it's exhausting and repent into the world that God has given us and the home that we have that is imperishable and unfading. Verse 53 in 1 Corinthians 15. For this perishable body, your body will perish. This perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. What we long for will be given. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then death then, then shall come to pass. The saying that is written... Death is swallowed up in victory. That's what we were just singing. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, Jesus came in the full recognition that it was exhausting. It's called the cross. Was that exhausting? Yep. It was exhausting. He sweat, blood. He hung and suffocated. That was exhausting. So that he could put on the imperishable. So that he could put on the immortal. So that he could be fully clothed and swallow up death forever. We live in a world that's broken, in a world that is not our home, but our home will be revealed. This is a, one of my dead mentors from afar. Uh, his name is Paul Turnier. Um, and don't mind the pipe. Don't worry about that. Um, he, uh, he was a Swiss, um, started out in psychology um, in the 1930s. Um, and he um, was one of the first people, he was interested, I mean, he was a very spiritual man, he was a, a follower of Jesus, and he was one of the first men uh, in, the, in, the, in the last, you know, 150 years to, to recalibrate what it looks like to, to have a holistic view of humanity from a psychology perspective, from a physical perspective, and from a spiritual perspective. Because our world can really just say these are all independent things and they don't really go together, but Jesus says they all go together, and so I'm going to follow him. Anyway, Paul Turnier, he, um, he tried to integrate all of these realities. And um, one of his, his books that is... It's not dense from a sense of like, I don't understand what you're saying. It's dense in your soul of like, dude, I'm like read three paragraphs and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just have to sit on this. And the the book that I've um, I've read from him is called A Place for You. A Place for You. The whole idea of the book is you have a home. This world is not our home, but we are given a home by God for the healing of the whole person. Okay, it's almost like Revelation 21. Okay, Revelation 21 says this Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, for God himself will be with them 
as their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things... For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. There is a future fulfillment of the reality that this world is not our home. This world is not your home. If you're married, your spouse is not your home. If you're dating, you're, the person you're pursuing, they are not your home. They are a small, minuscule picture that is honored and loved and beautiful and good by the Lord in his grace to show you the love and the goodness of Jesus, of the Father's love, of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. There is a future fulfillment of this reality of being home, and it has been initiated now. It has come now in the giving of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus has been raised, he says, I am making all things new now. The kingdom of God has been initiated. The kingdom will be fully coming, but it has started. And it started in you, and it started in me and it's the gift of the Holy Spirit that has been poured out upon the church. Do you find refreshment in the reality that this world is not your home, that things are going to break, and that we are longing and awaiting and expecting and saying, come, Lord Jesus, that we can be fully at home. There's refreshing simplicity in the reality that this world is broken. We acknowledge that. And we have the refreshment that the Holy Spirit gives us in sustaining us to the end where we are fully embraced and see the Lord face to face. Refreshing simplicity in a world of content. We look to God's word as the reality by which we are living. Okay? Ecclesiastes 9, the preacher sought words of delight. Verse 10, sought words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and nails. Man, okay. Goad is basically, a, um, I didn't necessarily know what this was before I had to look it up. And, um, you know, from a dictionary, more information. Um, anyway, um, it's, a, uh, it's a stick that has nails on it. That they 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 use it's kind of like a whip, but they they um, correct um, oxen and donkeys and and different different farm animals in, in the straight path by poking and prodding them of like keeping keeping the path, and um, and, and so the the preacher is saying the words of the wise are like goads and nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that are given by the one shepherd. Here's the thing with simplicity. Here's the thing with being informed. Um, even by the word of God, okay, that a lot of times we like to get more information because we want to just uh, dabble. We want to just understand little bits and pieces. But when you, when you simplify and when you clarify what source you're going to, there's this thing called trust that's really hard for us as people. I don't know if I trust that source. I don't know if it's reliable. I don't know, man, it's saying that, but I think I want to like change that. Or it's saying that, but uh, you know, maybe I'm just I'm, I'm going to not do that because I don't want to. He's saying when you dis when you see truth, it puts you in a narrowed way. And what did Jesus say that those who follow me are going to be on the narrow path. So can somebody say to me that I'm narrow-minded by being a preacher of the Bible? Yep. 
And I take that as a compliment. Why? Because Jesus said it was a narrow path, and I've, I'm devoting myself to the study of God's word that it would be the one place that I am informed by. It is a clarifying path. It is a distilling path. It is a choosing and a sifting to say, this is the path that I'm on. Reading the collected sayings makes a statement that I'm not going to go to these sayings. I'm not going to go to these sayings. I'm not going to go to those sayings. I'm not going to go to those sayings. I'm going to go to these sayings that were given by the one shepherd. That's a, that's a personification or allurement to Jesus as the great shepherd on our behalf. One of the things that I think we, that I struggled with, that I struggle with, church, as, as a person who's uninformed, um, is, is that I feel disconnected. I feel, um, I feel like I'm, in some ways, looked down upon because I'm not totally informed in the culture and all these things. Um, and, and, and I'll just, I'll give, I'll give you a scripture for me that, that came to mind as I wrestled with this. And, and this isn't on the screen, so I just want you to listen to it. This is Ephesians 5. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Have nothing to do with them, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness, rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. So what the disobedient do in secret I shouldn't necessarily be totally informed by because I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Does that make me, you know, close-minded? Yep. I don't want to know. I don't I want to be innocent to what is evil. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 11. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Oh, the wise, the understanding, those who know everything, they don't know. You've revealed these to little children. Hmm. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus offers us a yoke, church. A yoke is not a free pass. A yoke is not the opportunity to do what you want. A yoke is not saying, hey, I've saved you, now you can be free. A yoke is an invitation to have the law of truth, the word of truth, the, the restful truth, the delightful truth, as Ecclesiastes says, of Christ's words upon us to then guide us in our path. He says, I'm going to walk with you. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That requires that we're learning from him, that we're learning from him. Did you know that that, that, that idea of learning historically was a privilege was, was a restful enjoyment that people learned because it was fun? That, that's, that's the idea of learning from Jesus that I get, to, I get to learn this. I get to be with you. I get to walk in a delightful path. And this requires humility. This requires us to say, I'm not going to go to other sources. I'm not going to go to other things. I'm going to be guided and directed in this narrow path. Jesus fulfilled this in his own obedience. I'm like, man, in the fullness of time, Scripture says Jesus came. Man, sometimes I wish the fullness of, sometimes I say the fullness of time was the internet because it's like, yeah, the internet, everybody would have seen Jesus. Everybody would have known Jesus. He would have been a YouTube sensation, okay? No, in the fullness of time, he came because he was obedient perfectly to the law in his time and culture. 
he was clear as a Jew, fulfilling God's law of what his call was. Saying no to the over-information content of, the, of our world is a humbling, scary experience. But Jesus offers us the invitation to learn from him. Paul, at the end of his life, writes this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. As you, but as for you, continue in what you learned and what you firmly believed. Do you see that word, continue? You started out that way, continue in what you learned. Verse 15, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Verse 16, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Man, Lord, I, I want to be, be equipped. I want to I be trained. I want to I know what to do. I want to I move forward. Okay, am I, am I being acquainted? Am I rooting myself in God's word that's able to train me and is profitable? At the end of Peter's life, he says the same thing. Go to the second slide on that, Todd, uh, verses, starting in verse 19. At the end of Peter's life, he's writing, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How do we have this refreshing simplicity? Refreshing simplicity in a world of complexity that's, man, I can read so many books. Refreshing simplicity requires clarity of this is the one that I'm going to be rooted in. This is the one. These are the collected sayings that I'm going to hold to. That's an offer, that church, that, that's an offer of refreshment, that you don't have to know everything. Welcome to the club. You're not God. You don't have to know everything. That's okay. But God has given you words of truth and of delight to walk in. Some of us may ask the question today, man, it's like, man, Greg, I'm... I'm following Jesus. I'm still exhausted, okay? Are you exhausted when you read your Bible? Are you exhausted in God's word? When you reflect upon God's word, not just reading it, reflecting on it, meditating on it, sitting with it, asking questions of it. And you, you may have a response to me because I hear myself and I'm like, man, you're adding things to my plate and I'm like, I'm not adding things. I'm offering you clarity. I'm offering refreshing simplicity to say, this is the one thing that I'm holding to. Because I can have 50 books that I want to read this year. I can have three news sites that I, that I look at three times a day. I can have these magazines and shows that I watch to be informed. But am I in this? Scripture describes the words of God as honey to our lips, as a transforming thing that happens by the Holy Spirit, that as we hold the text, as we read the text, that, that God's words are revealed to us. When my dad passed away a few months ago, um, Becca and I were on our way driving home, and um, we were driving home, and we were talking about just life and, um, man, what the Lord has for us. And um, one of the things that, that I told her that I felt really convicted by in that season with my dad was I have clarity on two things. Two things. God's word and his table. 
That's what my life is devoted to. God's word and his table. That's for me. And that's, that's clarifying, church. That's really clarifying. And my offer to you is you don't have to, you don't have to be like me and you can say, hey, man, I, I work as an accountant. I, I worked as an accountant too. And I still was devoted to the word. So I'm offering you a refreshing simplicity to be devoted to one thing. That is our Lord Jesus, who is revealed in this, who is the word made flesh, and his word that is given to us. Refreshing simplicity requires clarity. Being clear on God's word. This is a prayer for the study of God's word. I encourage you to maybe take a picture of it. Just reflect on it. I want to pray this for us. Um, even though it's a written prayer, I want, to, I want to embrace this as a complete heartfelt reality of going to the mercy of God, that we would be people who are devoted to the reading of Scripture. Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, Lord, would you grant us the grace to hear, to read, to mark, to learn, and to inwardly digest them, your word, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Refreshing simplicity in God's word. Refreshing simplicity in the choices of God's ways. Ecclesiastes 12 wraps up this reality that the end of all things has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. We don't have to be afraid of God's commandments. They have been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus has taken all judgment. Love casts out all fear as we learn from 1 John. That all 613 commandments were, were fulfilled in Jesus. Ultimately, as Jesus says in Matthew 22, the law of loving God and loving neighbor. I want to give you guys one statement of in all the choices we have in life, all the things that we can do in life, what is the one thing that we're devoted to? We're devoted to loving God and loving our neighbor as is revealed in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Okay? Put this in the context of how to live your life. Okay? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive, as the Lord has forgiven you. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. We are to be people, church, who walk in the way of love. Let me give you an illustration of this. I had a meeting this last week that I was had a lot of anxiety about. It was really complex. There were a lot of different situations going on in a lot of different arenas of the conversation. And the night before, um, I recite 1 Corinthians 13 to uh, my kids every night before bed. And, and as, as I was reciting that, 1 Corinthians 13, in the way of love, I, I just had this like epiphany moment of like, hey, I don't have tomorrow figured out. What do, I have to, what do I have figured out tomorrow? That I'm to show up loving and gracious, that I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. If I have all faith and can move mountains and speak not love, I am nothing. The way of love is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of the scriptures fulfilled in God's commands that we are to walk in. And so all the choices you can make, being a husband, being a wife, being, a, being a, uh, someone who's in a dating relationship, being a coworker, being a, being a son, being a daughter, being a friend, all of those things, how do you do those things? You walk in love. You walk in the love of God and the love of your neighbor. I'm going to wrap up today with the reality of bananas. Okay, 
How did I answer the question, what is the purpose of my life? How do I have refreshing simplicity in a world of complexity? As I was trying to discern that season of my life of like, man, Lord, what am I calling you? What are you calling me to? The way that I answered the question was this. I could be in a jungle all by myself. Somebody could give me a bucket, a barrel of bananas, and I, my job would be to peel them all day. And then the peeled bananas would be sent off, and the next day a new bucket would come. You want to talk about monotony? Like, that would be the most monotonous thing that I could think of. Being by myself, isolated, all those things. And the Lord, like, it was a, it was a whole visionary experience. Uh, no, just kidding. But there was this experience where the Lord asked me, okay, Greg, would you be willing to do that in obedience to me? Would you be willing to do that if I asked you to? And I, I wrestled for months with that because I'm like, that's lame. And it had to break my pride, my need for fulfillment and my need for significance in the world to say, yeah, Lord, I'd peel bananas all day if that's what you called me to. It doesn't matter if anybody knows my name, knows where they came from, knows my obedience. It doesn't matter because I'm obedient to you. I'm devoted to your word, holding fast to you, and that's all I got. So is peeling bananas refreshingly simple? Yeah. Does that take a lot of sacrifice? Yep. Jesus offers us refreshing simplicity, church, and it looks like following him. It looks like listening to him, and it looks like walking in his ways. May the Lord bless us. May the Lord draw near to us. Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity as your people, as we wrap up Ecclesiastes, that this world under the sun is broken that you are redeeming all things, Jesus, that you have given us clarity in your truth and that in Christ our Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of the Father, we can live refreshed in simple lives. As Paul said, would you live simple and quiet lives for the glory of Jesus, for the glory of your name, Father, for the glory of the Holy Spirit who reveals Jesus to us. Lord, we pray that you would give us refreshing and simple lives. In Jesus' name, amen.